If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be deceivingly elementary, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to why does it seem so hard to write a mystery? And what are the building blocks of a great mystery? And what campaign setting can make us feel like we're north of the wall? TM, TM. <laughs> Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So this one was super tough. We are coming off the backs of this. Uh, uh, I, I, tell me what has happened in the last like 18 hours. Well, I scoured a lot of resources trying to figure out what actually makes good mysteries because I've run some dudders before and I've gotten better over time. But I was trying to dig into why? Why? Yeah. What makes him good? And I'm learning about Sherlock Holmes and Batman and <laughs> all what, kinds of weird the shit. The obvious places that you go to learn about how to write mysteries. Yeah. This one admittedly was super tough. Jordan's brain is absolutely dead. I'm at the point in a mystery story where the hero is holding their brain and looking around at all the scrawling on the walls, wondering <laughs> where they went wrong, <laughs> how to make sense of it all. Well, this is actually the first episode in our three-part series on mysteries in D&D. And yes, it does require three episodes because this is a complex topic. Yeah, like it's it's a little bit more than your typical adventure story or a horror, which we have done a three-part series on horror as well. I think one of the first points I want to make is we are talking about mysteries as a type of stories because who stole my belt isn't really a mystery. It's just <laughs> looking at the rogue and saying, did you steal my belt? <laughs> well, mystery solved. It was absolutely <laughs> the rogue. And it's it, my point is it's not like it's not puzzles. We did episodes on puzzles, too. Those are when you're in a room and you're trying to figure something out. This is definitely more of a story first approach to having like a multifaceted mystery. And I think that's what we're trying to tackle in these episodes is that if you don't have a structure for that, it can be so hard to unravel. Like the DM shouldn't feel like a character in that mystery <laughs> trying to unravel all of the minutia and this little hints and details to how to run a great mystery in D&D. Yeah, you have to keep it all straight in your head as a DM. Otherwise, you run into all of these troubles that come with running a mystery. You want your players to feel powerful and intelligent and clever. You want them to feel like Sherlock Holmes. You want them to feel like Batman. Absolutely. Those are the only two we know. <laughs> it's tricky to do because we don't all have 160 IQ in order to solve <laughs> mysteries Speak like an yourself. actual... <laughs> really? Okay, that's like a bit of a, a hot stretch. shot, huh? <laughs> but, 
But the point is you do have to rely on structure and even tropes sometimes to accomplish this because you're not as clever as Moriarty on the spot. <laughs> Fair enough. Actually, to that point, Moriarty spent his time planning and plotting. Can you imagine how much time he spent figuring out his plans before executing them? A DM has to do the same. A DM has to invest a little bit of time using some standards and some systems to figure out those plots. Another thing you absolutely need in a mystery is for everything to make sense at the end. Unlike just an adventure that you're kind of running on the fly, you can't have any plot holes. <laughs> Speaking of television shows that had a ton of unresolved plot threads and plot holes throughout it, I mean, I think we can all think of a few different TV series that just left us feeling cheated and angry because they couldn't sew any of those up. Yeah. In a mystery where you're trying to figure stuff out, those plot holes make it seem rigged from the start. Like there was no point playing through it, whereas any other kind of story, it's fine. Yeah. And the answer has to be only in retrospect, super obvious, because if it were, if it were obvious from the beginning it's not going to feel satisfying. And if there was never a chance of you figuring out it in the beginning, then you feel cheated. Yeah, it's a fine line. And handing them the answer at any point makes it seem pointless to have even tried solving it. <laughs> yeah, fair point. And it also really sucks when you plan a huge mystery out only to have the party crack it in one. <laughs> like you think your first clue is really tricksy and then they're like, oh, got it. Yeah, let's go stab them. Yeah, and the opposite can happen as well, where if you made your clues too obtuse and too deep, they're sitting around without any idea as to where to go and looking at each other and going, <laughs> what What do we do now? The energy just hit that brick wall. I mean, that's when you have like Johnny on the spot come along and say, hey, by the way, here's some exposition. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you all the directions that you needed. Let me help. <laughs> They're conscious, <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, this super helpful <laughs> sidekick that just happens to have all of the right ideas. Yeah. Well, this is all to say that we've tried and we've failed at writing mysteries so many times, but I think we figured this out. Yeah, I, I think we cracked the code. So if you follow the steps that we do to create a mystery, you should have an awesome baseline that allows you to change things on the fly, but still have that rising tension because you've got it all laid out in a logical way. And you can, of course, respond to the weird trains of thought that your party will go down that you did not see coming. Yeah, you've sent me down a few of those roads before. <laughs> Let's go over the quick overview of these next couple episodes. So this first one is about the world building that you have to do for a mystery story. So this first one, we're going to talk about the world building that you have to do to create a mystery. All of the chunks that kind of go into, uh, you know, th this is the ingredients of your recipe. Yeah. And then the next one, and then the next episode, we're going to talk about planning a mystery, which is the story beats or the recipe that goes along with all the rest of your ingredients. This is how to mix them all together into a really, really nice uh, kind of beat by beat system. And finally, the third episode will be running a mystery. And we're going to get into the details of actually how to work those investigation scenes, how to handle clues, or the final tips and tricks of preparing your dish. Man, <laughs> this 
culinary metaphor works a lot better than I anticipated when I was going into this. <laughs> We're baking a mystery cake. <laughs> I love it when things just work out. So let's get on to the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so the first ingredient for your mystery cake is the main hero of the story. Then you have an antagonist, and that's followed by an antagonist's goals. Next, you have the steps of the antagonist's plan, and then, of course, all of the suspects that are going to be implicated somehow in this plan. So let's dive into each one of those piece by piece and start to go through them. So uh, let's start with that main hero. Well, this is typically going to be your party. And if I'm, and I like to do mysteries as like choosing one party member to really be the hero of this story. Yeah. I mean, if you want your players to be invested in the story, the, the story should always revolve around them in either big ways or small ways, whether you're catering to a long lost love that they had and an actual character from their backstory, or you're just going about it in really subtle ways, like creating a villain that directly opposes some of their values and things like that. That's nice and subtle, or you can go with the big kind of story beat broad strokes approach. And you know, if you're just kind of writing a mystery that you'll work into your game at some point in the future, it can be it can be based around an NPC that reaches out to the party for help at some point. Yeah, I think if you can't do an actual hero, if you can't make a party member the main hero, there still should be somebody involved that is making solving this mystery worth it. You've got the little sister of the murdered uh, man requesting your help. You have uh, a parent who's missing their child. You've got uh, a store owner who was robbed and is imploring you to help solve this mystery one way or another you need somebody empathetic in there otherwise there's no point to solving the mystery yeah but come to think of it even those npcs can be tied in some small subtle way to some of the values uh it could be as simple as making the hero of your story or, or the person that we're feeling for uh a halfling, just like the halfling in your party. Maybe some kind of kinship there will help carry that story forward and invest those players. And even an NPC that your party has interacted with a lot before so that they do care about their problems. Totally. Yeah. So next you have the antagonist. The one who done the crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Said very simply and elegantly. Yes. So, yeah, we've already mentioned that Planning this antagonist, if they have some opposing traits to the party, that's a great way to start. You can also start with some archetypes yeah, that kind of give you a direction of where to go. We talked about this in our villain episode, but you've got things like the bully, just an oppressive, mean-spirited individual that's doing bad stuff just to have that sense of power. Yeah. Or the mastermind, somebody that has a diabolical master plan this is the classic choice for mysteries <laughs> you could do it as a henchman for a smaller mystery perhaps it's part of a grander plot but this is just a piece of it that you solve as you work your way towards the 
god of chaos or whatever. <laughs> wow, <laughs> master, working your way you up the ladder of the uh, the crime syndicate or something like that. This yeah. is the the one that will eventually maybe even open up the doors to a a further mystery, a bigger adventure. Mysteries on mysteries. Or you can go with a fun one, the fanatic, whose dedication to an ideal is always juicy and motivates them to go down some dark paths. And I think an important point to make about an antagonist is that, again, an antagonist can be sympathetic. It doesn't have to be an overtly evil person, but this is just somebody that did something wrong that is trying to cover it up and keep it from your party. So whatever that case may be, um, you know, you can end up making some pretty uh, moving stories. Totally. And some pretty innocent antagonists. Yeah. The little absolutely. fluffy cloud person that floated <laughs> down. <laughs> I want to play that mystery because I'm really excited for where the <laughs> fuck you can take that. That is weird. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was forced. All right. So then next you have your antagonist's goal and nailing this down. I don't know. I Sometimes I find this part to be particularly tricky because I don't know. I'm just such a nice guy that I don't think in these terms. <laughs> oh, really? That's why it's tricky. Yeah. Coming from the person that always threatens to shit in my pillow. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Fart on it for sure. Okay, sure. Pink eye is funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, you want to start with your antagonist's end goal. Like, what is the point to doing any of this in the first place? This really helps kind of work your way backward. You know, we all have those things that we really want. And realistically, it's uh, either a desperation or some other reason that just says that, you know what, I really want uh, a beautiful, classic BMW, but I'm not going to murder the person that owns it. (laughs) That's the only thing that's stopping me from my goal. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) If you want to look at the world through a real dark lens. <laughs> well, what is it that your antagonist really, really wants in their heart of hearts? And what circumstances led them to to say, okay, you know what? Screw the rules. I need this done. Interesting antagonists don't just do things because they feel like doing them. They yeah. have a different motive. They have a different uh, end goal in mind. They're being pressed pretty hard by something to get it done totally and deep within that are three really important points that every single antagonist needs before you can launch into um, a proper mystery and that's motive opportunity and method and you're going to hear these come up a couple more times the motive is why they did it which always springs from some really basic desires like power personal gain passion or revenge yeah pretty simple ideas realistically so what was their motive then you've got that opportunity so where and when were they what were the circumstances around how they were able to perpetrate this was it uh at a fancy party was it at a dingy tavern when was the the person that was victimized here when were they vulnerable and how did they uh, have that opportunity to do it? In the middle of a stormy night during a parade. 
And then the final one is method, which is how they would do it. So, you know, what kind of weapon did they use? Uh, was it quick or slow? Did they poison them? Something like that. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting point because if it's a crime of passion, then it can be really obvious. But if it's premeditated, then the killer might use a, a method that implicates somebody else. Yeah. The method is often very reflective of the antagonist, who they are, what they like, what, the way they think. A gnome or a halfling who's trying to kill a barbarian is likely going to use poison or something else that doesn't require brawn. So in this case, a gnome is probably going to have to cover up this killing in some way because that kind of implicates them. Whereas if they were trying to draw attention towards the barbarian, they'd rig up some kind of crazy contraption that allowed them to use a hammer that is way too big for them, drawing attention away. So that premeditation means everything in this scenario. Yeah. And then we get into the plan that gets the antagonist to their end goal. And this is a fun part of this process. And it usually takes a little bit of reworking to create a plan that you're really happy with. These plans can be elaborate or they can be super simple. So for example, a simple plan could be uh, lure my father's murderer out, kill them, hide the body, and run away. That That's a pretty straightforward plan. Yeah. Or a more elaborate one might be like, if I wanted to usurp the throne, I'd step one, blackmail the city guards. Step two, plant some doppelgangers in the city guard for those who resist. Step three, find and kill a single moral guard who discovered my plan. And step four, assassinate the ruler and usurp the throne with no more resistance. Pretty brilliant plan. So a couple of points to draw in both of these examples. So first of all, there is a time crunch. The final step always involves some kind of timeliness that if this mystery is not solved, bad things will happen. So in the first example, you've got the runaway piece. The, the murderer will get away if you take too long. And like, we can hint in the game that this is li a likely scenario. And then in your example, you've Got a, a corrupt ruler who's about to take over the throne. You have to stop this. Yeah, if you can't prove that they're a villain by then, then they're in charge. You can't do anything about it anymore. <laughs> and another point is that usually step one and step two is kind of where the investigation kind of comes from. So yeah, the crime that the party will eventually investigate is one step of this master plan. And they're just going to get that slice of it and they're going to have to figure out the rest through the adventure in order to uncover the goal and figure out the antagonist from that. If the party's hunting a serial murderer, the, the time crunch is that they're, the murderer is going to kill again. If they're hunting down a, uh, a, a serial a zoo animal kidnapper, <laughs> then again... You're going to run out of animals in the zoo. Like there's there's always some kind of time crunch and you can really throw in the party's investigation in any stage of that plan. And finally, we have to create some juicy suspects. Now, our system relies on three suspects. I think you can have more, but this is a really, really strong trifecta of suspects. And we'll kind of go a little bit deeper into why. 
they are the suspects of this crime because they're the only ones that could have committed it. So when you're using three suspects, it works pretty well to have the first one be the super obvious suspect. They fit the crime perfectly, almost a little too well. At first glance, they definitely did it. Everyone else's opinion is that they definitely did it. Yeah, this is like long-standing rivals and and jilted lovers and like every every mystery that you can think of always had the obvious choice off of the get-go. And they're probably the one being framed if you've got that kind of a story going. Yeah. The second suspect is the mildly suspicious one. They seem involved, but more or less kind of circumstantially. There is might may not be a ton of actual evidence linking them to the crime. And usually, once you get to that stage, it, the evidence is kind of flimsy against them, but they're still, they're a person of interest. They could just give you a really bad feeling. Like if it, there was a brutal stabbing, and you've got somebody in town that's just like obsessed with knives. <laughs> it's like, well, there's no evidence, but we got to go talk to them. The the motive wasn't clear. Why would the knife guy stab the <laughs> like that? But it's still it's a little weird. You should probably go investigate. Yeah. They didn't have all the motive, but they definitely had the means. The first one had the motive, but not necessarily the means. And that wasn't uh, clear from the get go. And then you finally have suspect three. This is the super unlikely one. Clues do not point to this suspect right away or barely at all. Like you have to collect some evidence to eventually find your way to suspect three. And when the party reaches suspect three, they're going to feel like they're hot on the trail. However, it's none of them. And we'll get into more of that in our next episode. But before we do that, we wanted to go through a working example of how all of this kind of comes together. And what we're going to do is we're going to carry this example forward into the next two episodes. So we're going to work through all of the points that we just talked about in a real scenario. So it makes a little more sense. Well, all right. So our hero will be related to the classic D&D tavern as the head chef in the back. <laughs> and her name is... Let's go with Olivia. All right. So we've got Olivia, the chef. She's empathetic. She's confident. She's objective. Maybe a little bit superstitious. All right. And that's all we really need to move forward with the antagonist. So for our antagonist, we went with the fanatic archetype, really obsessed with uh, the purpose behind their crimes. And we gave him callous, confident, objective, and focused. So kind of having some things in common with our hero. Nice. Our antagonist is the mayor of the town. Wait, what? Uh-oh. Yeah, we've Corruption got... Corruption uh... up on high. <laughs> so what we want to try and do is, of course, we want to have those traits involved because that is going to help us not only figure out how our antagonist is going to go about their goals, but it also helps us role play that character. So now that we kind of have our antagonist, what is their goal? Since they're a fanatic, they're super obsessed with their morality. And the crazy party tavern goes against that. 
Ah, they so, want a clean town. Yeah. So they want to get that party bar out of town. This feels very much like uh, the the highfalutin folks of Dirty Dancing, <laughs> and we're making our Patrick Swayze. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it says, no, I won't live by your rules. <laughs> uh, so we, we have a tavern that has parties every night. Uh, people are swinging from chandeliers. Pants are coming off. It's crazy. Going back on strangers. (laughs) (laughs) And our mayor hates it. Oh, grumbles in his office seat. Okay, so he needs a plan. Step one will be hire a 'er ne'er-do-well to kill the tavern (laughs) owner during a riotous party. Ooh, just like stabbings or poisonings or what goes well with our antagonist's traits well patient and focused so maybe weakening the target with some poisons ahead of time Mm, interesting but he's also confident and callous and that that really lends itself well to just hiring a an assassin okay and i think even having the assassin maybe like kill him in the middle of the night or something like that Oh, during the party still? Yeah, like afterwards when everyone's kind of hung over and, you know, then this this person that was there partying all night just stabs the, the bar owner. Yeah. Everyone's too drunk to even recognize what's happening. Easy peasy, quick and sleazy. The second step is the mayor then murders his hired killer. And when they're holding the funeral... For the bar owner, he has one of his henchmen. Let's say the uh, let's say the town record keeper, who's like in the inside circle, uh, bury the body underneath. I saw that in a TV show once. You bury the body <laughs> underneath the casket that's about to go into the ground. Nice by the, taping it to the bottom of the Jesus, casket. That's subtle. <laughs> no, you have the grave digger dig out the grave. And then somebody just sneaks in that evening before the the funeral and then plants the body like two inches underneath. You don't have to do a lot of digging. Yeah. It's the lazy man's way. (laughs) Pretty clever. So then uh, the tavern is given to someone else close to the tavern owner. So that'll be step four. The tavern is given over to the ex-partner of the victim. Who hates the tavern and probably won't open it or will sell it eventually to the city. Sure. Maybe. Well, in that laying out that plan, we almost have all of our suspects too. We have the town record keeper. Yeah. We have an ex-partner. Yeah. And so we need to filter them into those different categories. So we need who's going to be our first suspect that is going to draw all of the attention and be the absolute logical choice. Well, let's add in a long-standing feud with the opposing tavern owner in the town. Ooh, so there's a second tavern, and that second tavern is probably a little bit quieter. Yeah. It's like a, a normal tavern, whereas this was the party tavern. They're drinking finer spirits <laughs> and having more sophisticated conversations. And then we have Suspect 2, which should draw some of the attention Draws suspicion, but isn't actually involved in any way. Like, doesn't really have all of the building blocks to be the killer. 
Yeah. We have an ex-partner who has had a loud and boisterous, fraught relationship in the middle of this small, sleepy town. Yeah. I mean, it's drawn a lot of attention. Everyone knows about the arguments that were had. But it seems unlikely that they would ever kill them. Yeah. Even though they they said that once or twice in an argument. Oh, I oughta. <laughs> and then, of course, our suspect three, who could be the town record keeper. So throughout most of the mystery, there's very little linking this crime to the town record keeper. But they are actually in on it with the mayor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're an accessory to a crime. Yes. I mean, they may not even know. If I'm a mayor, I can just say like, hey, I just happen to have this spare body laying around. I'd really like you to bury that in this shallow grave. <laughs> I've got this, Seems innocent enough, right? I've got this uh, costume I made and I filled it with... <laughs> oh no, <laughs> old meat. <laughs> just put it in the ground. <laughs> I've got this bag of old meat. <laughs> Gross. Well, that seems like it's enough to do something with and run a mystery. We've got the basics. So I think next we're going to have to put it all together. So the next episode, we're going to talk about laying down all the clues and then, of course, how to pull it all off in the end and turn it into an actual adventure. So to recap those steps that we just talked about, flesh out your main hero, flesh out your antagonist, create your antagonist's goal, create the plan that leads to that goal and craft some compelling suspects. All right, so yes, stay tuned for that next episode. But before you go, let's hop over to the Temple of Inspired Hands where we have a really cool product to draw your attention to. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. So do you love some Scandinavian Vikings? And... Do you want to play some wild characters with all new themes, spells, and abilities inspired by Vikings? And do you want to play in a world with gods and kingdoms inspired by Vikings? Of course you do! <laughs> then you can do it in Spyland. It's a grim, brutal 5th edition campaign setting. And we cannot wait to get our hands on it. So this Kickstarter was just launched... It's by Dream Realm Storytellers, and we backed their previous product, which was the Corpus Malicious, the Codex of Evil. And it's a brilliant and expansive piece of work. I've had hands on the alpha version of the document. They're not quite finished, um, but they're printing it in... The, it's beautiful, and it's hardcover, and I'm so excited to get it. And I was so impressed with the contents, considering that this Corpus Malicious is like 450 pages... <laughs> of all kinds of fun stuff to do with evil characters. But then they hooked me with Vikings. <laughs> and they only hooked you so good because that Corpus Malicious is such quality content. Yeah. Like they didn't just throw a bunch of stuff into a book. The art is top notch. The writing is top notch. I'm just so impressed with everything that they're doing right now. Um, this newest current Kickstarter for Sviland, it's only a few days old, but they got six grand and it was completely funded of their six grand goal in 18 minutes. That's pretty quick. They just blew through their goal. So it's absolutely funded. I take longer showers than that. <laughs> right? That's pretty good. Yeah. And this new book is so cool because it's a campaign setting. It's two adventures 
it's a couple of, of really cool. There's an expansion in there, uh, but it's got a lot going on. Like it has 46 new class archetypes, which is just so many. <laughs> it gives so many new options. It's got two completely new classes. One of them is a rune walker. I don't even know what that is, but I cannot wait to find out. Absolutely. And it means that runes are a heavy feature of this whole world, which is always cool. It's got 120 new spells. Six new races. It's got 100 new magical items. And each of those magic items comes with a backstory and plot hooks. It's got a small monster manual with 40 brand new monsters. So that campaign setting is over 200 pages of content. It's a pretty huge addition to my 5e, uh, well, uh, I don't know, books, tomes. <laughs> Every one of these books weighs like 50 pounds. And now, uh, you know, you can just make sure that your backpack straps break every time you're trying to head over to a friend's place. But <laughs> I'm really excited for some of the game mechanics that they're introducing. Like they've got this warband tradition that actually ties the group together in a mechanical way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just so excited to even if I don't get the chance to run a campaign with this, there's got to be some really good stuff that we can blend into our own games. Yeah. So you've got 23 days to get in on that as of the release of this episode. And honestly, like, I don't know. I like I dig Vikings. I dig Norse mythology. It's pretty cool stuff, but I wouldn't say that I'm like over the top. But this entire setting got me because if you got really excited for everything in Game of Thrones that was north of the wall, like <laughs> I was mostly into that. I could yeah. care very little about all of the backstabbing in the cities. I was really excited for what the hell those northerners were going to do with the undead army that was arising. And let's find out more about that giant story. Right? What's he into? Yeah, like all of that stuff I want to know more about. <laughs> and this entire, like check out the Kickstarter because all of this looks like, hey, do you want to run your own D&D fan fiction north of the wall? <laughs> Super cool stuff. Anyways, the entire thing is mega exciting. And you said 23 days, but when is the actual date that it uh, you can't kickstart it anymore? Well, the end of the Kickstarter is on August 26th. 2020. In case you're listening to this in the far future. <laughs> the year 6,000. <laughs> All robots have died and humans have returned. The only thing that remains of our past is podcasts. That is a bleak future. <laughs> All you've got is podcasts about shows that you can't watch. <laughs> Those are the only ones that made it. The ones where people are watching shows. <laughs> you have to piece together how good a show was by listening to the, the two nerds talk about the show that they love so much. Welcome to Waking Walking Dead, where we're going to talk about Walking Dead spoilers. <laughs> Before we go, we have one awesome review from Me Will from Apple Podcasts. It goes... Great! <laughs> Five stars, informative and fun. I heartily recommend it to all D&D enthusiasts. If you couldn't tell why Jordan was yelling at you, it was because it was written in all caps. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, me, Will. That, it's, it's awesome. I heartily recommend it as well, but I, I'm kind of biased, I suppose. I People actually, are just like, stop talking about your podcast. 
I don't recommend it specifically. <laughs> I'd say you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't be into this. Get off my case about it. I see. So you're going like the exclusionary, you can't get into this club route. Yeah. And I usually, if people want to know more, I charge them. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a tough sell. Make it a little mystery. Good times. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please go write a review because we're actually running out of them. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, it's a little, it hurts a little bit in my heart. Uh, I feel pretty good that we've gotten as many kind words as we have. I agree, but we need more. If you've been listening to this podcast regularly, uh, please go go give us a review because it, it honestly, it helps out the podcast in its visibility greatly. You have no idea. And it gives us a little bit of joy in our... <laughs> cold empty sad world <laughs> it's not so bad all right well thank you very much tabletop audio for all the sound effects that you heard in this episode you can follow us at hook and chance on twitter facebook instagram and reddit and please please join our discord uh there's some really cool stuff happening there and we get to talk about all upcoming episodes and oh we just have some really fun conversation on there indeed Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening. and, and now let's solve the games. mystery of my mad scrollings. <laughs> You're going to be there forever. <laughs>